0: Well, welcome to See, here, Love. I'm your host, Melinda Estabrooks. I'm so glad you've joined us for part one of our Coast to Coast Conversations in Ontario. Usually we only do uh, one show in each province, but this show in Ontario needed two parts. As we talk about racism, being women of color, and how we have uh, navigated through our challenges here in Canada, We talk about the challenges and the impact uh, they have had on ourselves and our family. And then we talk about how we've overcome racism and how we have ensured inclusion in our own lives and sphere of influence. I know you're going to enjoy both part one and part two, but today is part one as we talk to Raquel Brown, Jody Wall, Stephanie Joy Styers and Frances Kim, along with myself and co host Anne Miranda, about what it means to be a woman of color here in Canada. Enjoy.
1: You are seen, you are heard, you are loved.
0: Well, welcome to See Here Love. I'm your host, Melinda Estabrooks, and thank you for joining us on our fifth stop in our coast-to-coast conversations in my hometown province of Ontario. And I'm so glad that you have joined us. And I am so glad and you have joined us as well, all the way from BC. Welcome.
2: Yeah, thanks, Melinda. I'm really stoked for this show. Did you know that I was born in Ottawa? Really? I had no idea. <laughs> So you're like an Ontario girl, but just transplanted out West. Yes. Yes. I'm super excited. I have so many family members out in Ontario. That was where the first place uh, we landed when my parents immigrated here.
0: Oh, I love that. Well, you know what? I have not introduced you in a while. And so for people who have just started uh, watching our Coast to Coast Conversations, I want to give a little shout out to you because you are the pastor of women's ministry at Village Church. You're passionate about seeing lives transformed by Jesus, and you love encouraging others to reach their full potential as they advance the kingdom of God in their lives. You're the co-founder and visionary at Leverage, a network for women in leadership, and you live with your husband, Carlos, your kids, Nathaniel, Hannah, and your mom. Where in BC? We're in Surrey, BC. In yeah. Surrey, half BC. Half, half hour out of Vancouver. Right. So welcome. I love that you're here with us, Anne. Well, I'm going to now introduce our amazing panel, because what an incredible panel of powerhouse women. We have Raquel Brown, Jyoti Wall, Stephanie Joyce-Dyers, and Frances Kim with us. So Jyoti, where are you living in Ontario? So I live in southwestern Ontario in a small uh,
1: rural farming community. We're about two hours south of Toronto, um, about an hour
0: south of London. Right on Lake Erie. Amazing. So here's what I know about you: you are a wife, mom, artist, small business owner. You have a toddler son, and currently you are seven months pregnant with your daughter. Congratulations! By the time this airs, the baby will already be here. No. <laughs> you look amazing. Uh, like Thank you said, you me. live in a small rural community where uh, we, I, I'm assuming your husband, you farm asparagus, bell peppers, and zucchini. Yum. You are a fiber artist, which I'd like to know about, and you love filling your days with gardening, experimenting in the kitchen, and playing outside with your son and your pet, I love this, your two pet ducks. <laughs> Actually,
1: unfortunately, our ducks were killed, (gasps) so they're no longer here with us. I know it's really, it's really sad. Uh, But that's life on the farm. That's what happens. Animals attack animals, and yeah. But maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get more. Hopefully, he was our son, Avin. Was really attached, and he loved them. So um, hopefully, after babies here, will maybe, maybe then we'll get more ducklings. Okay. And what is a fiber
0: artist, Jyoti?
1: So I'm specifically an embroidery artist. Um, so I do embroidery art and felted art. Um, I basically work um, on commission, commissioned orders. So people will order um, stitched family portraits or stitched house portraits. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to explain, but uh, yeah, that's basically what it is.
0: <laughs> okay. And I know that you live in a rural community, but what do you love most about Ontario? Since we are in Ontario now for the mm-hmm. show.
1: Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm originally from Vancouver, um, and I only moved out here a few years ago. So I can't speak on behalf of all of Ontario, but specifically to where we live. Um, again, yeah, it's a very small town, we live in a hamlet, not even a town. Um, and it's beautiful, very slow-paced living, uh, wide open spaces, again, we live right on the lake. Um, and with where our farm is, we have our own private beach, so it's just stunning all around. and. Uh, definitely took a while for me to get accustomed to, you know, the transition from the hustle and bustle of being in Vancouver to country living. But I've I've fallen in love with it. I love it so much.
0: Amazing. Well, welcome. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Thanks for having me. All right, Raquel Brown, welcome. Thank you. How are you? Good. Where do you live in Ontario?
3: I live in Brampton, Ontario. It's just outside of Toronto, and I have lived. In Brampton for pretty much my entire life.
0: Okay. Well, Raquel, here's a little bit about you, which I just love. You're a wife, mother, educator, and most importantly, a follower of Jesus. You are the founder of Empower and Equip, whose mission is to move our village of faith into action by challenging and empowering churches and parents with the tools that they need to be, I love this, the loudest and most influential voice in the lives of of our children and youth. You have 20 years of experience. And I love this, Raquel, your goal is simple, to empower and equip God's people with the tools required to help our children know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. Powerful, wow, amazing. I'm so glad you're here. And um, what do you love about Ontario? Rampton or just Ontario as a province as a whole? I,
3: well, I would, say, I would have to say the cultural diversity I'd have to say that that um, growing up where I where I where I did and living where I do, I get to come into contact with people from all different cultures and, and ethnicities. And I think that's important and I really value that. Now I haven't really traveled extensively outside of Ontario in Canada. Um, so I don't know if, it's, if that's true every, anywhere else, but I know that it's definitely true for where I am. So definitely the multicultural, um, diverse backgrounds that I get to work with and live near and around.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you, Carla. I can't wait to hear your thoughts as well throughout the show. All right. Well, next up, Stephanie Joy Steyer. Stephanie, welcome. Hi. Thank you so much. And where are you living in Ontario right now? I live in beautiful Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Oh yeah, beautiful. (laughs) Well, Stephanie, I love that you're here. You were born and raised in the beautiful Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Stephanie, you are of the Mohawk Turtle Clan, and you are the President-CEO of Marketplace Solutions, Inc., a First Nations consulting firm that specializes in community revitalization, business coaching, and corporate social responsibility. I mean, your bio is huge. I, I love that you also have experience working with government funding and grants, with Indigenous Affairs and Northern Development Canada, youth employment strategy, and a an Aboriginal Human Resource Development strategy as well. So, welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, what do you love about Ontario, Stephanie?
4: I love. It about Ontario is that it's indigenous land, traditional land, first and foremost, that Ontario is a Huron word for Great Lake. I love that. And I also love that there's so many waters here, waterfalls. I especially love Niagara Falls. (laughs) (laughs) I love the sound. I love the look. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And I, I just love the land. The land
0: is so precious and sacred and beautiful. That's what I love most. Beautiful. I love that too. Thank you, Stephanie, for being with us. And finally, to round us all up, Francis Kim, welcome. Thank you, Francis. Where are you living in Ontario?
5: I live in a small town called Woodbridge, just north of Toronto, about twenty-five minutes north.
0: All right. Well, Francis, uh, you're the director of Envision, which is really interesting. It was really neat to to learn about this. It's a resource of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination that helps to identify and develop future missional leaders who innovate, establish, and strengthen communities of faith in key urban environments. And you're heading that up. I love that. You used to serve on uh, a pastoral staff at your local church, leading pastoral care and administration. You're married to Randy of two children, Timothy and Amelia. And this is what I love. You enjoy thrift shopping. Yes, who doesn't love that? creating warm and inviting spaces. You're always open to trying new experiences at least once, and you give great care to raising this next generation of young creatives and influencers. Amazing. Welcome, Frances. And for you, what do you you. love about Ontario?
5: Well, I'm thankful it hasn't been said already, but I, I especially love the CN Tower, and it's not just because it's the third largest tower in the world, but also because that's where we got engaged. So my husband gathered our two families, he got a plane and hung the banner and it no. just it's a personal yeah it's a personal memory milestone for me so that's that's wow. what I love
0: I love that that is fantastic well yeah. i live in Burlington so this is great like around here I live in Burlington which is outside of Toronto but I love it because it's in the middle of like Toronto and like Niagara on the lake Niagara Falls and I think I would echo really what you know Stephanie was saying too and Jyoti about well all of you Um, the diversity of people I love because I love eating out with my husband to all the different kinds of places uh, for food. So one night it's Vietnamese, one it's Thai, uh, the next it's Korean, then it's Ethiopian. I mean, we just love exploring and eating great dim sum and all kinds of food, which I love in Ontario. But I also love the land. So you can go to Niagara on the lake and Niagara Escarpment and hike, but then you can go up to Muskoka and be in cottage country. But then you can go... Um, across to like Prince Edward County and and love the lakes and I mean it's it's so beautiful and for my husband and I we love doing day trips so we'll go and explore towns and best drive scenic drives if you if you ever Google you can say best scenic drives in Ontario and we do that too and I just love the expanse of the land the beauty of the landscape and the people so amazing I agree with you all well to get us started in loving more, knowing more about Ontario, Anne has brought some trivia. So what I know is, now usually I do the trivia, but this time I said for her to do it so that we can kind of compete you guys and raise our hands if we know the answer, okay? And there's really no prize, just really the trophy of knowing that you're the best and that you know more about the province than anybody else does. So Anne, go for it, raise our hands and see if we know the answers to our province of Ontario.
2: Okay, here we go. This is going to be fun. <laughs> All right, this provincial park is the largest park in Ontario. It has no visitor facilities. It's reachable only by air, and special permission is required before visiting it. What is the
0: answer? What? We have one. Of <laughs> hmm. No facilities. Anybody?
2: I don't oh, know. Oh, I got you on the first one. <laughs> Mel, Mel enjoys
0: this stuff. Okay. Any guess? Anything? Let's see. I know park. We know any that has no visitor facilities. That's strange to me. Okay. It's called Polar Bear Provincial Park.
2: Several hundred polar bears migrate in that area. So you need to get special information before coming in. I know. Okay. okay. Next I think that this one's gonna be easier. This city is called the waterfall capital of the world, home to over a hundred waterfalls. Mel, I saw your hand first. Well, I'll let
0: them go. I'll let Jody and Francis go, see if they, they get it. Okay, okay. what is it? Or Jodi? Uh, Hamilton. That is correct. Yes, woo! Okay, I knew that. It's Hamilton. It's Hamilton.
2: All right. This city has the highest visible minority population over any other Canadian city. It actually has no majority racial group. Francis,
5: Toronto, Ontario.
2: No, no, it's not. Um, no. Okay,
0: Jyoti. Jyoti. is it Windsor?
2: No, but you think you're getting closer.
0: Oh, I was going to say Good. Mississauga.
2: No, guys, it's Markham. Over 75% of the people from all over the place, they have no, like, there's not one race that is more popular or more majority than the others. What? Okay. Okay, in Ontario, there is a law saying that this word is not an admission of guilt. What is the word? If you say this word... There is a law that protects you in Ontario. Mm -hmm. Only, only in Ontario, not in all of Canada, but only in Ontario. This is weird (laughs) trivia. Sorry, girls. Okay, I've never heard of that. I know the word is sorry. Yes,
5: (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna (laughs) guess.
2: Were you gonna guess that? Only in Ontario, there's a law that protects you when you say sorry. Okay. Wow. This is the largest road in the world. What? Yes, yeah, Mel. The longest
0: road is a young Street. That is correct. That is correct. Um, I right. drive it one time, and it just that it was too long. <laughs> I started off right down. I think at Queens Key in Toronto, and just tried to drive it all. The, yeah, it's it's too far kind of got it's 100 kilometers i know it's huge i know it's huge all right this is a really
2: interesting um, one from the highway if you pass this northern ontario t- city you will see the largest canadian goose
0: oh no i hmm does anybody know i'm thinking i think maybe i'm thinking sudbury with the coin or something no it's not sudbury you anyway, stole my next
2: trivia question, Mel. <laughs> this <is so> funny. <laughs> okay. I love Ontario, but I love trivia. <laughs> largest, largest Canadian goose. You have to Google this one. It's a giant statue in Wawa. Thunder Bay? Thunder Bay? I don't know where th- no, Wawa. it's Wawa. Okay. That's the name of this town. Oh, W-A-W-A. Wawa. Wawa. Yeah, Wawa. Okay, what is the official flower of Ontario? Oh, sesame, oh, I think. Trillium. Trillium. That is correct. Okay. This great athlete was born in Ontario. His nickname is the Great One. That's Stephanie.
0: Wayne Gretzky. Yes. That is correct. So <laughs> born in Brantford, I think. Is it Brantford? Yes,
2: that right Brantford, around.
0: Ontario. So there. If you
2: go to Tim Hortons, there is a coffee. That is called the Gretzky, named after him. This is a mysterious concoction of coffee that actually has nine sugars and nine creams. (laughs) Only in Ontario. Okay. (laughs) That is awesome. Okay. Now for, um, do you know what town, this is the last one, the Bare Naked Ladies are from? I
0: know, they're from Ontario. This is pop culture trivia. Hmm, I was gonna say Hamilton, but maybe Ah, uh, shoot. I don't I know. I thought
2: Mel was gonna get this. This is Scarborough. Can you sing us a song from them, Mel? This those is
0: <laughs> If I had a million dollars. Maybe that's that their- <laughs> their- <laughs> amazing. Those are good. I thought I would know yeah. more of those, but I think I need to kind of brush up on my trivia. Good job, you guys, Francis, Stephanie, Joti, and Raquel. Good job. I think, yeah, we're all gonna go back and be like reading through trivia of Ontario. So thank you so much, Anne, for bringing that. Well, today is a really timely discussion. And as you see our beautiful and diverse panel um, of women and even myself and Anne, you know that we're going there with these topics and I think it's really important as somebody who has been doing the show for you know four years and in medium broadcasts for close to 20 years uh this is really i have to think about it, the first time i've really done a focused show on the challenges of women with color um that we have faced in canada and i'm really really excited um and thoughtful about this show and so i'm so thankful that all of you are here today as we discuss some challenging things but also I know that we can we can give hope in the areas of our struggle and challenges. And so the first question I want to ask you all is what do you love about being a woman? Now we're representing all kinds. We have a Jamaican woman, we have a Mohawk from the Turtle Clan woman, we have an East Indian woman, we have a Korean woman, we have a Filipino woman, we have a Middle Eastern woman. What do we love about being that woman today. Uh, Francis. I want to start with you. What would you say in response to that question? Yeah, I
5: was thinking about it. And part of our culture, I mean, obviously, with every culture, we come from rich history, lots of family-oriented, collective culture. Um, but for me, unique to me also is the multi-generational factor. I would say the last, out of the last 10 years, eight years have lived in four generations within one home at various points in time. And that's a unique part of, of living. And so I've had to navigate through what is my primary role? Is it daughter, granddaughter, wife, parent, community contributor, leader, all at once sometimes? Um, but the other answer that I would say that's unique to being a Korean woman is just mastering the secret. In our, in our language, it's called nunchi. It's almost like a six sense of being able to read the air, read the room, um, notice things before you speak. And it served me well over the years. There's actually a book now that's out written by a Korean author called The Power of Nunchi, The Korean Secret to Happiness and Success. So that's just one thing that comes to mind, a couple of things.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Frances. I love that. Raquel, what about you? As a woman today, what do you love about a woman i would say specifically as a black woman
3: um this may sound strange but i would say my hair and i'll tell you why um for many years my hair was chemically straightened for many different reasons and i think that um about my hair has been in its natural state for about 17 years now And it's almost not like a sign of protest, but for some it is, but for me, it is almost one of the most tangible ways that I'm able and visual ways to embrace that black part of me. And I know for a long time when I was younger, um, for many reasons, again, I would straighten my hair and I was actually told um, when when I entered my profession that I should straighten it because Um, straighter hair is more palatable and more acceptable and I would possibly go further faster. So I would say um, um, for me, it's, it's, it's my hair. And and I've actually like passed that down to my daughters, both of my daughters, I have two daughters, um, 16 and 13, and they both love their natural hair and they know why it's important. So um, that's what I'd have to
0: say for me. Yes. I love that. Beautiful. Thank you, Raquel. Stephanie, uh, for you as an Indigenous woman, what do you love about being from the Mohawk Turtle Clan?
4: So I love being from the Mohawk Nation. I, I am definitely Turtle Clan. I'm strong. I love that. But, you know, what I really, really love about being an Indigenous woman is that with the failed government policy with the findings from the um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, their report, with Murdered Missing Indigenous Women and Girls report, and finding Canada guilty of genocide, you know what? We're still here. We are still here, we're thriving, we're resilient, we're smiling, we're happy, we're successful. Our language, our culture, our traditions are being revitalized. And we're embracing our identity, an identity that was tried to be robbed from us, stolen from us. I'm so proud of our my people. I'm so pride, proud of indigenous people in Canada. And I'm just like in awe when I sit back and see what's going on right now in the nation and in our nations, it's just amazing. So I'm super proud. I'm super proud to be an indigenous woman. And I feel so empowered and strengthened, and I'm working on my PhD in policy studies, and look out,
0: just look out. (laughs) Amazing. Woo! You got us going, girl. You got us going. That's what I want to hear. Amazing. Thank you so much. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, Jyoti, as an East Indian woman, what do you love about about being an East Indian woman?
1: Wow. All of those responses were so empowering. I love them. Um, I feel like mine is maybe a little bit, maybe more superficial, but in all honesty, I, um, Raquel mentioned something similar. Like I grew up in a very traditional home. So even though I was born and raised in Vancouver, you would have, you know, if you entered our home, you would think you were in India. <laughs> like my parents are very traditional, uh, very strict, and always made a point of making sure that we were really connected to our culture growing up. Um, so growing up, my sisters and I, we were obsessed with Bollywood films, and we would, you know, stand in front of the TV and dance like they do and, you know, wear the outfits. And when when I thought about this question, I thought, really, like, I feel like a princess when I'm all dressed up in my Indian clothes and I feel like royalty. So being a South Asian woman, one of my favorite parts of that is being able to dress up and to represent my culture and to feel beautiful and to feel um, empowered in that sense.
0: Mm. I don't think that's yeah. superficial at all, Jyoti. I think that is a beautiful part of, of us, of beauty and, the, and princess. That's, that's so even in, and, and biblical as, as, you know, God looks at us, and it's beloved, right, princess—the one who I love and adore, and I, I, you know, dance over and I rejoice over. I mean, that just brings that kind of—I want to dance as I say that, right? Oh, we'll have a dance party after this, you guys. Don't you worry; we're gonna be dancing after this. Wonderful. Thank you, Jyoti. I love that. And what about you, as a Lebanese uh, woman? What what do you love about that?
2: Yeah, I would have to say the the almost innate response to, it's like an innate hospitality that is embedded in the blood of the Lebanese people. So my, me too, like growing up in Canada, I, I can't really speak the language. Uh, it's really interesting because I can speak um, Spanish fluently, but not Arabic. So even with loss of language, I have still been able to maintain, This this part of the culture that is hospitable. I just think of like anybody who has entered our home, uh, my mom will would have like showered them over with hugs and kisses and fed them to overflowing. There is just no there's nothing that compares to it. She's like eat, eat. It's like a the other love language. You know, there's so many different love languages. The five there's a sixth one for Lebanese people and it's called food. <laughs> and so we just like over, however much the table's like full, you can't even see like the table anymore because there's so many plates on it. That's how much they're showing like love to the
0: other. So yeah, that's, that's probably one of my favorite parts. I'm hey. sure. Uh, I would say for Filipinos, it's a bit of all, I think for Filipinos, the party, you know, it's funny. I love throwing parties. I found out in my, um, in one of my personality testing, my number one, uh, characteristic is woo. It's wooing people to something great and to the party and to something exciting. And and that's what I love is I love bringing people together. And, and whether that's cultural, but I've known uh, other Filipinos who love that. They love bringing everybody. You don't just invite one person to something. You invite everybody and their family and their cousins and the hairdresser and anybody who's connected to you. You want them to party and enjoy life the way that you do. And I think that's something beautiful about I think for for me as a Filipino and just culturally, when I meet even a Filipino on the street, it's big smiles. They always just smile and there's just something warm about them. So I love that. Um, And I honestly, I will say this, this is sort of a funny thing, but I actually love being petite. Um, (laughs) I am under five foot, though I I did lie over the years that I was five foot, but I really am, I'm outing myself for 10 and a half. I just wear lots of high wedges and heels. And um, I, love, I love that about me. So there's the honest truth about <laughs> being a Filipino woman. I, I wanted to set that up for all of you because I think it's important that we embrace and love who we are and, and our nationality and our background and what our family has brought to us. But on the flip side, I know that being a woman and being a woman Uh, who is Black, Indigenous, East Indian, Korean, Filipino, and and Middle Eastern, Lebanese has not come without its challenges. And so I want us to talk about some of the challenges that we have faced uh, in Canada, just from our own experiences. And so we're just going to share our challenges. And then I'm going to ask you the question about how we then, how those challenges have then impacted you. So let's go, let's go through this, because I want it to be really honest, I think you're going to be voicing some challenges and concerns that many of our viewers and listeners uh, have been faced with. So, um, Stephanie, let me start with you. Some of the challenges, let's just go one or two uh, challenges that you have faced as an indigenous woman.
4: I think right now thinking as to, um, what I have faced and what I've been through and working with a lot of indigenous people, youth and adults, I see a lot of, um, People applying for uh, like apartments and maybe not getting an apartment because of who they are. So, you know, you know, when you go in and you know that someone is not allowing you to take an apartment because of who you are. So another one is in government services. I have people who go in, I've gone in on some occasion where they don't accept your status card. However, when you go to their website or you have to see something like a poster in their organization you see that that document is a legitimate document yet they're they're not accepting it so those are some of the challenges that I have faced and I have seen in my line of work and but I've also looked at solutions as well so
0: Wow Wow so many thanks for sharing that they're big Raquel mm-hmm. for you and challenges you have faced in Canada I would have to
3: say um, two things come to mind. The first thing is um, having two black children and not being able to find um, resources in terms of books and things that, that where we are represented to, to, to have those things in our home easily. So I can find them, but I have to pay more and search harder to find that representation and um, that's that's been challenging, um, and I would say the second thing is as an educator, um, knowing that the history that I that I that I'm paid to or mandated to teach erases my people from that story. Right, Black and Indigenous people are are, are not present, and, and having those challenging conversations with colleagues about that and and as a teacher figuring out how I can navigate that myself and then as a mom so I would say those 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 two things have been two challenges that have been the most painful to navigate but I I I I've, I've, I've found my way through them a little bit.
0: Wow. Thank you Raquel for sharing. Jyoti, the challenges you've faced in Canada? Yeah, um-
1: I, I guess a few things come to mind. Uh, the top two are probably, first, I, I think I can speak on behalf of a lot of first-generation Canadians who, who, again, come from um, more traditional backgrounds. Uh, when I say that finding your unique identity growing up in such a multicultural country, but um, you know, going home to a very specific, strong culture and traditions um, has been kind of a common theme that struggle throughout my entire life, trying to find my unique identity by being raised by two cultures, essentially. Um, I, yeah, I, I entered university. I actually went to a Christian liberal arts university and it was predominantly white. And that was a shock to my system because I constantly, all the years that I spent there, I felt, I felt like I stood out. I knew I stood out and not in a negative way necessarily. Um, I'm really grateful. I I, I don't think I, Have ever experienced any overt racism Um, but I know to some degree I was given certain privileges in this predominantly white university that others weren't Um, so representing the school at speaking engagements you know being the face of the university in many cases because they wanted to show that they they did have diversity and um, again not a negative thing necessarily but it was still a thing Um, And that's, it's funny to me, because now I live in a predominantly white community, I, you know, could I could count on one hand, the number of ethnic minorities that live here. And um, I feel a similar sense of, you know, I walk into a grocery store, I walk into the post office, and I'm always the only minority, (laughs) I'm always the only person of color in those situations. And again, not a negative thing. It's just a thing. And I've never felt um, discriminated against because of it. But it's still something I'm aware of. It's at the forefront of my mind when I go to church. It's, um, it's there. And secondly, I am actually married to a white man. <laughs> and so marrying my husband was a really big deal. And um, being the first person in my family, like my entire generational line to intermarry with someone, um, to be with someone from a different race was a really big, big deal. Um, and yeah, there's just been a lot to navigate through that for sure. And learning. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Jyoti. Those, those are some things that I'll mention for me that um, have come up same and similar. Francis, some of the challenges you've experienced.
5: Yeah, I can also identify with what Jody shared, but more from my childhood experiences. So we moved when I was eight years old to a very small town of 1,000, and our family was the only non-white family. My parents owned the home hardware there, and my sister and I, we were the only non-white kids in our school. And so those were very formative shaping experiences where I just desperately wanted to fit in. So from what I packed in my lunches to who I brought over, there was just this this innate um, desire to be like them. Um, It caused definitely some subconscious, uh, very subtle, but very prominent uh, ways of adjusting and coping for that over the years. And so even now as an adult um, working in a very uh, kind of a diverse society, living where I am right now and seeing a lot more ethnic representation, um, there's still a huge gap. And so oftentimes if I'm walking into a meeting room, say I won't be the first one to speak, but I'll be using my nunchi, you know, that skill of just reading the room, reading the air. And sometimes it, it's very, um, you know, easy in certain situations or circumstances to feel overlooked um, i'm not the first to speak but I'm, neither am i the last and so somehow in that I, it kind of gets lost and so navigating through that and um, the struggle of dual identity for sure i completely resonate with that until i became a believer and i'm still wrestling through that but the identity that we have in christ how does that come through even beyond our own ethnic culture that identity and not losing out but embracing fully who I am as a Korean as well as a Canadian so
0: yeah lots of navigating to do oh, still so. good wow well said and just some quick thoughts there before I go into some of the impact of what about for you as a Middle Eastern woman what would have been some of the challenges that you have faced
2: well I think first and foremost I have a camouflage like I can camouflage with different cultures so there's that part too where it's like what are you? And then when we actually start to have a dialogue, oh, so you were, you're you not Latina, you're not uh, you know, what, Portuguese, you're not Italian, you're not this, that, and then the, like, okay, so then what is that? And then, especially in my community on the West Coast where there isn't a predominantly you know, Middle Eastern uh, community, uh, and then the jokes come, you know? And so I think that's some of like, hey, "Why your, your terrorist background? Like, what is that? What is that all about? And so I think that some of, uh, again, I haven't been like um, denied opportunities because of my race or anything like that. I just think it's just, it's interesting. Like Joti said, it's a thing. And so to be able to embrace that and go, okay, well, what is, how do I then react to the thing? Um, and what does that mean then in a church setting too? Mm-hmm. Oh, so I know we're going to continue this dialogue, but it is, it is interesting. Um, and many of us have, uh, you know, experiences within the corporate world and within, uh, outside of the church and what that experience is and what is our experience within the church is an interesting yeah. conversation.
0: Yeah, it's good. I think the thing for me, you know, I came to Canada when I was 13 and never knew about racism or anything different because I grew up in communities where I was very diverse. All my friends were either from, like, you know, the Middle East or from Japan or from the Philippines or or wherever. It was was just very multicultural. Uh, But I think for Filipinos, I mean, when I first came, immediately because I was adopted and my family is white, they immediately thought I was the helper and maid of the home. And they were very clear to say that to my parents, to their face. Oh, so you have a maid and helper in your house. Now, as a young girl who never even – Thought of that. I was, I am Paul and Diane's daughter. The assumption based on being Filipino and my skin color made those people say that and assumed. Um, And, you know, it, it, it was also difficult. I was a young brown woman that has big personality and would speak, you know, my truth and say things and kind of loud but confident. And a lot of people didn't know what to do with that. What do you do with this loud? Filipino woman who will not back down in in a meeting or in a boardroom and and goes after what she wants. That's not what the typical Filipino woman should be like. And so uh, in the church and in my workplace, always, I will be honest with you, always sort of a bit of a fight and push to to be at the table to have my voice heard. Um, And so that has been Uh, Interesting to navigate through, and uh, I can I can I can sense that some of some of the experience of of some of you as well. Well, as you shared these challenges, I want to sort of go back around then to say how have these challenges um, impacted you um, adversely or for the good? Your family, your work, how you see the world. Stephanie, I know with you, you know these are very practical things that because of you know um, who you are even though there are like cards and things that are legitimate, that it's, you know, being challenged? What, what has been the impact for you with those challenges? Well, I'm a lot like you,
4: Melinda. I go after what I want to, and I'm, I am loud and vocal. And when I see an injustice, I'm sorry, I cannot just walk by. I have to stand up. And I have to make a stand, not only for me, but for my people and for other people who are, who are treated unjustly. Um, so with me, what I did with the challenges I face with, for instance, the apartments and people not having apartments. Well, I created a business and I buy apartment buildings in Timmins, Sault Ste. Marie. And guess what? Indigenous people are highly encouraged to apply because they will have precedence, so that's what I do. I look for a way of being a solution, right not part of the problem so that's what I do I'm still looking for more apartments because i there is a need. I even create apartments here on six nations I'm looking at building another sixplex um, so that we have housing problems here too. A lot of people want to come home right so I'm looking at building some apartments so that My people can come home, they got a place to live, you know? Um, The other thing with the card and the identification and going into government service providers or organizations and maybe they're not accepting your identification. I work with a lot of youth. So I start with the young ones and I give them the tools that they need so that they can go out there, they have their ID, they know what to say, they know where to look, And if they still have problems, come to me because I will go (laughs) and I will fight. (laughs) So that's what I do. I make it a personal part of my business and my everyday life to see that my people are empowered to be successful, to love who they are, to embrace their language, their culture, their traditions, and just go and do what you were created for. So let that greatness from within, flow out. That's what I want to see. And I'm seeing it more and more. Our youth are standing up. They're saying, I can do this, I can do that. And they're going out and they're being tremendously successful. And I'm super proud of them. I'm so proud of being indigenous. I'm so proud of being uh, from the Mohawk Nation and Turtle Clan. Um, Wow. It's amazing.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow, Stephanie. We're all like, you know, (laughs) No, that's really encouraging because, you know, we, we've heard and know the challenges that your people face, but it's so beautiful to hear you as a woman say, I know these challenges, but I'm going to come up with solutions um, to ensure that my people get homes and have a voice. I mean, that, that's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so for the people then who are feeling just stuck you know, what would you say to your people that are feeling that way, angry and stuck and not, and not feeling heard? I would say, like, get around people who are successful.
4: You know, get around our people, Indigenous people who are successful. Because once you're around them, you can learn so much from them. And I know from myself, if someone asks me, Stephanie Joy, can you come with me? Can you sit with me? Can you tell me about your business? Can you tell me how, what your struggles were, how you made it through? I'm like, yeah, sure, come on, you know. I can, when, where, coffee, what do you want? You know, and we go out, we talk. I encourage them to to find a mentor. If it's me, great. If it's someone else, great. Depending on what you want to do, that's where you find your mentor. And then you submit to your mentor. And you learn from your mentor because they only want the best from you. In my culture, it's elder, you know, or somebody who has done what you want to do so that would be my encouragement for them and also if you've done something successful talk about it most times we don't talk about it like okay so I created my husband's business from the ground up I knew how to do it when we got together he didn't know much about business and you know him and his brother were $30,000 in debt and I turned that around and within three years there were what 1.9 million in revenue so like you just need to and if he was here he would thank me for it right I mean he would tell you because you need to embrace your accomplishments we as a first nations indigenous people sometimes we're so humble we don't want to talk about our success it's really hard right because we feel like we're tooting our own horn and is it right you know but um, now I'm thinking, you know what, we need to share our success. We need to tell each other about our success because
0: that encourages someone else to step out and say, hey, if she can do it, I can do it. Amazing. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That is so good. Amazing, amazing work. Well done. Raquel, for you, with these challenges, how, has, uh, how have those impacted you, know, you, I mean, obviously your family, your work, and how you see the world, how you kind of live out in the world today?
3: Well, I, I think um, I echo a lot of what Stephanie has said in that it has birthed in me a passion and a, and a desire to ensure that parents that are coming behind me um, they have the tools and resources that I never had. So one of the things that that, that i've I've noticed is that though my children are older, Um, Friends that I have with kids that are younger, the parents are still having the same issues at school, the same issues with with representation, but I've been able to figure it out in some sense for my family and being able to be a mentor to those younger families, especially through the work of Empower and Equip, has allowed me to um, be a leader in closing the gap. Um, definitely taking time to listen to their, to, to their struggles and listen to their challenges. But then after you listen, offering them a solution. It's it's great to be that listening ear, but unless you're able to come back and say, okay, I see how you're feeling, but this is something you can do. I, I understand what you're going through. This is somewhere that you can go. Otherwise, we just keep repeating the same hurts and the same feelings and the same challenges over and over again. So the impact it's had on me um, is it it pushed me to launch Empower and Equip. It pushed me to launch um, a platform that I could use to support families now the work that i do isn't just for black parents but i have seen the the tremendous impact it's had in in our community in empowering our young black children to be proud of being black children mm-hmm. by by pointing parents in the right direction to help them build their own awareness their own knowledge so they can pass it on to their children so um, what stephanie said about the mentorship i was like yes sis like that is so important because sometimes we get it and then we kind of run off in our own little world thinking, yeah, this is my, my family is so great. And we forget that we have a responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. So if God has given you something that has solved the problem for you, we have a responsibility to pass that on.
0: Wow. Amen. Yes. Fantastic. I love that. I'm feeling so empowered uh, by these thoughts. Francis, for you, the challenges that you face as a, you know, as you shared as a, as a Korean woman, what mm-hmm. has the impact for you with mm-hmm. those?
5: I think um, what hasn't been unique, you know, for, for all of us is some level of understanding and having an awareness of where discrimination has happened, either against or around. But what has been a personal learning for me, especially in light of what's happening right now with the Black Lives Movement, is just how complicit um, personally I have been or even some of, uh, you know, my shared Asian people have been. Uh, And so constantly pushing into what is so seemingly uncomfortable, seemingly um, unfamiliar territory and actually wanting to become an activist. I haven't played that role. It's a, it's a new role for me. I've gone more around and influenced in more subtle, maybe subversive ways. Um, but I am now in a role where, just like you were saying, Raquel, there is a responsibility. There are people coming up underneath and around you that are looking to you. And I think it is not only a, a weight at times, but also such an awesome privilege that I cannot do on my own. I think mentorship is a key theme that I'm hearing across the board. There's a lot of diverse uh, millennials that we are trying to reach, and not just in ethnicity, but also in their backgrounds, their educations and skills. And a lot of our organizations and denominations, I can speak for myself, have only actually targeted one subset. Well, what about the rest who are also asking the question, how do I use what God has given me to pursue and advance his kingdom? And so that's part of the work that we're doing. Um, a small little startup is part of this very, you know, traditional, rich, historical organization. It has been a thrill, but it's also been very daunting. Um, And regularly, I am on my knees asking Jesus, you know, lead the way, because this is unfamiliar, uncharted territory, not just for me, but also in our organization. So another impact for me would be, um, I've just recently, in these last couple of weeks, been appointed to take on the role of creating a committee within our organization recognizing the systemic discrimination all of our leadership is one homogenous color and one gender and so how can we really create a space for others to come forward to express what has been their challenges what they observe what their lived experiences have been and then to consult and advise our leadership again it's such a fresh new role it's a it's a it's a a, an unfamiliar one, and yet I'm just simply being obedient to what's being presented uh, in front of me day
0: by day. Well done, well done. I'm glad you're heading up that committee, Francis. Amazing, Joti. The impact of for you with your family, your work, um, your own how you see the world with the challenges that you have faced.
1: Yeah, I um, I think it's interesting. My again, my experience with racism hasn't necessarily been. From the outside in it's actually been within my own culture and with my own, within my own family um, my sister and I are the only Christians in our family and our generations um, everyone's always been Sikh and stuck they've stuck with that um, so I come from a culture and a family specifically that's very it's all about like preservation. Preserving culture, pres- preserving religion—you don't change things. Everything stays the same, and if anything is different, it's you know heavily frowned upon. And yeah, so becoming a Christian was the first thing, and then marrying a white man was the second thing. <laughs> so definitely, um, you know, receiving hate comments and hate messages, and again, not necessarily an attack from others um, of different races on me, but within my own culture and with my own community, people saying, you're a traitor. You married someone that's not Punjabi, that's not like us. Why would you do that? Um, so that's been a really big learning um, experience for me and also something that I've had to um, work through personally and realize I'm not a traitor and I love my culture and I can um you know, value my upbringing and my traditions, and I, I I'm so proud to be Indian, Indo-Canadian. Um, while at the same time, you know, falling in love with someone not because of his race or his background, but because of who he is, and so that that's been difficult. And yeah, I I think it's um, it's funny when you know these conversations started with within our family just a few weeks ago about um, racism. At first, my initial reaction was. I 'm the poster child for anti racism you know i'm I'm in a mixed race marriage. my children are a mixed race, and here we are living in a predominantly white community. but um, it didn't take too long for me to realize that you know whether it's conscious or subconscious, you know we all carry um, racial biases and Um, us women of color, we're not exempt from that. Like each, each one of us, each individual person, you know, because of what society has given us and shown us and surrounded us with in the media, we, um, we have, we have prejudices and we need to be able to, you know, face them and deconstruct them and work through them. And yeah, that's just been something that I've learned. I mean, through, you know, my own experiences, but also especially the past, few weeks. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, we have to go to a break right now because there's so much more to talk about. But when we come back, um, we're going to be talking about how we have overcome racism and, and the challenges we've mentioned, how we ensure inclusion in our own lives and our own takeaways to women and men who are struggling today. We'll also hear from Anne, her devotional for the Women of Ontario. So you're going to want to stay with us. We'll be right back. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of our show here in Ontario as part of our coast-to-coast conversations. And I hope our thoughts and our stories were inspiring and encouraging for you. But stay tuned for part two coming up next week as we conclude uh, this show on overcoming racism, what it means to include everyone within our spheres of influence and how our faith in God helps to inform and navigate our decisions. We'll see you then.